Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Clark Jeanette, and I help lead our young adult ministry called New Perspective, and I also help oversee our life groups with Pastor Tony, and I have a blast uh, doing that. Love being a part of uh, leading New Perspective. I love the young adults at uh, Grace Medina East, and uh, also it's a blast uh, doing overseeing the biblical community and the life groups with Pastor Tony. Uh, love being under his leadership and Pastor Seth. Uh, been on staff here since 2013, and uh, it's just awesome being a part of just a, a great team here at Grace Medina, and uh, love getting to know all of you guys. It's been so awesome. So that's a little bit about me. And in uh, recent news, I just got married, so that's a pretty awesome thing that just happened. So yeah, you can clap for that. Thank you. And uh, again, that just kind of affirms, you know, that with God, all things are possible. So just, if you're single, don't lose hope, seriously. And you can pray for my wife, too, because I'm probably not the easiest guy to live with, so definitely keep her in your prayers. Anyway, my name's Clark. If I've never met you before, I would really love to connect with you at our cafe um, after the message this morning. But uh, let me just say that uh, I'm really excited because today we're going to start a brand new conversation, as you can tell, called GC3, A Vision for the Great Life. And I'm really excited about this one. And uh, if you're just uh, locking in with us as a guest for the first time today, let me just say thank you for being here. It's really an honor and a privilege that you decided to carve out time of your Sunday morning and be here with us. The way we kind of operate here on the weekend at Grace Medina is we usually choose a topic and we'll talk about it a couple weeks and then we'll move on to something else. And this time we thought it'd be really, really helpful to talk about this idea of how Christianity is not just about avoiding hell. It's actually about a relationship with Jesus. And in this relationship, uh, we're locking arms with Christ on mission. And uh, there are certain commands and there's certain commissions uh, that Jesus calls his followers to do. Now, I understand that not everybody in this room would claim to be a follower of Christ. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to tune in with us today and in the ensuing weeks to come, because I believe that this series and this conversation that we're starting today uh, will we'll connect and be relevant to you. Hopefully, you'll be able to see Christianity uh, through a lens that you've never seen it before. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you would claim to be a follower of Christ, uh, I would encourage you to tune in because this will hopefully uh, reinvigorate your worship and your praise and just adoration for Christ. And so this is going to be a really uh, good conversation. I'm excited about it. So today it's just an introduction. So we're just going to talk mainly, uh, the way I want to structure our time today is to talk about this word right here, great, because the series is called GC3, A Vision for the Great Life. And so I want to ask you guys a question. Uh, some of you might have grown up in Christian homes, maybe, maybe not, but uh, my guess is some of you might be familiar with this uh, specific prayer here. I'll show you on the screen. Let me ask you if you grew up seeing this prayer before. By a show of hands, any of you familiar with this prayer? It goes like this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Now I grew up, you know, as a kid, we said this prayer for every meal, and I got to be honest with you, it was just like all memory. I mean, I just said it, and I'm like, I can't wait to eat this dinner, you know, and uh, that was basically it, but this part right here, I want to talk about this a little bit. God is great. You see, as a kid, and even now, even through like Bible college and a seminary online right now, I still struggle to even kind of scratch the surface of what it even means to say that God is great. So I got to thinking a little bit, like, is God actually great? I mean, it sounds sacrilegious to say that he's not, but I'm like, is there a biblical case that God is great? So I put my nerd hat on, and I did a little bit of digging around, 
And I found that there is actually a biblical case for that. God is actually great. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God says to Abraham, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. The Bible says in Psalm 57, talks about God here, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. In Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great life. The Bible also says in Acts chapter 4, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Paul says in Ephesians 2, but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then John says in Revelation 20, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Let me ask you a question. Um, What if it didn't read like this? What if it actually, imagine if it read differently from this. Imagine if God said to Abraham, and I will make of you an average nation. And I will make, bless you and make your name average so that you will be a blessing. It's kind of funny to think about, isn't it? Imagine if in Matthew 4 it said about Jesus, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a mediocre light. Imagine if in uh, John 20 it didn't read this way. Imagine if it read differently. Imagine if it said, then I saw a mediocre lawn chair and him who was seated on it Imagine if it said that. See, it doesn't say that, actually. You can tell I'm just kind of joking around a little bit. But the thing is, the point is, God is in the business of greatness. God, there's nothing average about God. There's nothing mediocre or just all right about God. God is in the business of greatness, and God wants to invite you. He wants to invite me. He wants to invite all of us to lock arms with him on mission for this great life. He has a vision for us to have a great life. So that's kind of where we're going this series. You see, obviously we can build a case that God is great, but what about us now? What about us? What is our definition of greatness? How do we view greatness, our cultural narrative today? Well, I'll tell you, my natural proclivity is to think that a vision for the great life is, has a lot to do with success, has a lot to do with trophies and accolades and a lot of stuff that I would accumulate, a lot of human credentials That's the way that we would define success as a culture today. You see, many of us, we already know this, but, you know, I'm tempted to think that if I can become like a certain actor, if I could become like a certain professional athlete, which, let's just be honest, that's never going to happen, look at me, but like, if we can become like these people who have a certain amount of uh, success, and they have a a certain amount of, uh, you know, human credentials, then we can have a vision for the great life. So that's the way our, our culture defines it. None of this is new information for us, but a lot of us think that if we become like that, then the grass is going to be greener on the other side. But you see, I think we all know this, that that's not really how it works, right? Because we can see celebrities and actors and, and a lot of rich and famous people who have what we would call a great life, but in the end, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I have a couple examples here to show you. Wilma Rudolph Uh, she says this, when I was going through my transition of being famous, I tried to ask God why I was here. What was my purpose? Surely it wasn't just to win three gold medals. 
There has to be more to this life than that. Another one here is from a guy who needs no introduction, but uh, Tom Brady, a quarterback for the New England Patriots, he actually has five Super Bowl rings now, but uh, during this time, he only had three. He was 27 years old. He was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and uh, this is what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream. My life is me. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. Then he was asked later on, they asked him, like, what do you think the answer is? And he's like, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Another one here is famous actor Shia LaBeouf. He was in uh, the movie Holes, uh, Transformers series, uh, Disturbia, a bunch of other successful films. And in a 2009 interview with Shia LaBeouf, he said this, I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a house, a great house. My uh, parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could all go away. You never know. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from. But it's like a God-sized hole. If I knew, I would fill it, and I'd be on my way. Ironically, he's actually in a movie called Holes. I just thought that was kind of ironic. But the thing is, the, the tragedy is, and the reality is, is that, you know, what is... What is uh, Wilma Rudolph saying, and what is Tom Brady saying, and what is Shia LaBeouf saying? They're all kind of saying the same thing here. They're saying that we've made it to the top. We've made it, we've climbed that ladder of greatness, so to speak, and we've all found out that the grass really isn't greener on the other side. All three of these people can kind of testify to that. And see, this is something, we already know this. This isn't something new to you. But the thing is, not only is, uh, we, are we tempted to, to fall into this line of thinking that, that a great life is all about success and, and trophies and, and the accolades and so on and so forth, but, but even that word great, if you even looked, uh, did a Google search on that word great, which I totally did, you would get a whole diversity of different meanings for that word. Let me show you what I'm talking about. So this is Googling great. So here's what comes up. Great Lakes, which that kind of makes sense, right, because the Great Lakes, they're pretty big. Uh, Great Lakes Brewing Company, so that makes sense because it's next to the Great Lakes. This one, I want to talk about this for a second, Great Clips. Have you ever had a haircut from Great Clips? It's really not that great. The Great Depression, Great Western Bank, Great Wolf Lodge, The Great Gatsby, Great White Shark, a Great Value. This one, again, I've been shopping at Walmart for a while, but some of their stuff the great value, like the, the Oreo cookies, they don't taste the same. They're not that great. G- great Barrier Reef, Great Bambino, if you're a Sandlot fan or Babe Ruth. Anyway, what we can see from all this is that what's great for you is great for me. And great is just a word that it's relative. And we can slap that word on different merchandise, on different book titles, on different song titles. And, and really, we have a hard time. It's kind of the word has kind of lost its weightiness throughout time. It's kind of lost its, its luster, its shine, so to speak. And so this word great, we either think greatness is about success, you know, or we think it maybe we kind of come up with our own definition of greatness. And so if it's not success and it, if it's not, you know, coming up with our own definition, then what is great? Well, that's what this series is going to be all about. And here's why I think it's worth tuning in for today and in the ensuing weeks to come because here's the one common denominator that I think that everybody in this room uh, shares here this morning, and it's that we want to live a great life. At least my hope is that all of us here, we want to live a great life. We want our lives to count for something. 
We don't want our lives to matter. Uh, you know, we don't want to just live an average, mediocre, just got by, it was all right type of life. We want to leave an impression or a legacy, you know. Maybe for some of us, we want our lives to echo into eternity, the stuff that we would do. And so I know that's the one common denominator that we all share together. So, so how do we live this great life? What's the proper vision for a great life? We're going to talk about that in this series. And here's kind of the destination, uh, that the kind of the goal um, of where we're going to be headed in this series. We're going to be talking about uh, three things here, obviously. Uh, GC3 stands for the great commandment, uh, the great commission, and the great comforter. So let's talk about these a little bit here. Uh, the great commandment is found in our New Testament, and it's found in Matthew chapter 22. And uh, this is where Jesus takes all the laws of the Old Testament, and he boils it all down to love God and love people, which I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool because I'm, I'm kind of a simplistic person. And so I'm really thankful for that. We're going to be talking about that next week if you want to tune in with us for that. Uh, the Great Commission, this is a passage found in the New Testament as well in Matthew chapter 28. And this is where Jesus, after his uh, crucifixion and his resurrection, he's standing on top of this mountain in Galilee. And he looks at all of his disciples and he says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you. We're going to talk about that. We're really passionate about that here at Medina East Campus, so I'm really, really looking forward to this week. And then we're going to be talking about the Great Comforter, and uh, that's basically just the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it's found particularly in the Gospel of John, chapter 14 through 16. And that's one of those topics where people get a little bit too preoccupied with the Holy Spirit, or they're just kind of afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. So we're not going to do any one of those, but we're going to be talking about it in the weeks to come. So this is our destination. This is where we're headed. And if you could think of it this way, think of today as kind of like a three-legged stool, or think of this series as like a three-legged stool, and each one of these kind of represents a leg on that stool. So what we're kind of doing is we're building a theological foundation that we can set our thoughts on in terms of what Jesus is asking his followers to do, what he's asking us to lock arms with him on mission and do together. So, so if we think of this as kind of our, our, our foundation as a, kind of like a three-legged stool. Think of today as more like a blueprint. So if you're getting ready to build something, you have a blueprint, you have the plan, you have the design. Today we're going to talk about this word right here, great. Today's all about an introduction. So come back in the, in the ensuing weeks to come, and we're going to really unpack all three of those. Today I want to talk about, there was a guy uh, in the New Testament, and his name's Paul. And he had a vision for the great life. He had a vision for the great life where he thought to, to have a great life meant that you had to become a better version of yourself. Then in order to have a great life, you had to have this certain level of human credentials. And so we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But before we uh, dive in, I want to ask you to go to uh, Philippians chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles. It's going to be on page 819. And if you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab one of ours. We'll make it a gift from us to you. We always say we would love for you to have your own copy of God's Word. And uh, if you are a digital person, you can go to the uh, App Store and search Grace Ohio, and you can get the Grace Church app uh, that way as well and get to today's passage of study uh, that way. That's for free, and that's for you. We're going to get into the Scripture, but before that, I just want to, uh, let's just talk to God, ask Him to lead us and guide us in this conversation. Well, Father, I just want to say thank you for 
this uh, conversation that we're starting today, a vision for the great life. And um, yeah, Lord, I just want to pray specifically for everybody in this room this morning. Um, God, I know some of us, we might have some crazy stuff going on. And uh, Lord, I just pray that this uh, series would, uh, would really just um, give us you know, give us a vision for a great life, Lord. Uh, paint us a picture of, of what you see um, us being a part of with you, Lord. Help us to see that um, we could be open to the possibility that there's something greater out there and that uh, you want us to be a part of that, Father. So I, as we look at Philippians 3 this morning, Lord, I just pray that you just, uh, just, just give us a, uh, just a clarity and a focus on, on what it is that your word is saying. And I want to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we jump into this text here, I just want to share a quick story with you guys. Um, I've talked a little bit about, you know, me being on staff here at Grace and uh, just getting married and stuff, but uh, I want to share a quick story about when I was about um, 10 or 11 years old, uh, me and my buddy Jeff, we were uh, riding my dad's ATV uh, in the woods behind my house, and man, we really loved, like, riding this thing around. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I gave my buddy Jeff a turn. I was like, man, you got you to gotta get on this thing and, and, and try. Man, it's a lot of fun. And he was, he was kind of scared. And I was like, come on, man, don't be afraid. And I'm like, just try it. And so he got on. I don't know if he just wanted to impress me or what, but he was scared. And he started zipping on this thing like, like way too fast. And we ended up like clipping a tree. And uh, we ended up being okay, which was good. But we totaled this ATV. Like it was, I mean, it was like one of those big utility four-wheeler ATVs, and we ended up totaling this. It was really bad. Anyway, me and my buddy Jeff, we were scared to tell my dad, and ended up going to tell him, and he was just really glad that we were okay. But the problem was, that whole summer into that fall and into the winter, I just felt terrible. I'm just like, man, my dad can't have anything nice because I destroy it, you know, which is a pretty common thing when you're a little kid, you know. Anyway, the story kind of continues. That winter, we had a Christmas party, and uh, my aunts and my uncles and my cousins were all invited over, and uh, my uncle, he had this bright idea that he was going to bring a bunch of these uh, lottery tickets for, for all, the, all of me and my cousins to fill out. Anyway, these were fake lottery tickets, meaning they weren't real. They were winning fake lottery tickets. Anyway, me and my cousins got them, scratched them off. I got mine, scratched them off. I remember the directions. They said something like, match three Christmas trees of the same number, and that's your, you know, you win it, right? I remember that feeling of winning. I played it with the lottery with my, my great-grandma growing up, which, by the way, I don't play the lottery anymore, so I don't know if, how that sits in the church, but, like, I don't play the lottery, so I just don't know. Just don't think different about me, right? Anyway, scratched off this lottery ticket. I was under the false assumption that I won $5,000, and so I was really, really excited, and uh, everybody was kind of going along with it, right? Because that was kind of part of the joke. Like, it's a fake lottery ticket. They're going to freak out and think they won a bunch of money, but they really didn't. Anyway, I'm just like, wow, $5,000. Look, three matching Christmas trees, the same number, the directions. I mean, that's a winner, right? And I just remember my aunt, they were all like, oh, yeah, that's a winner. You know, and I'm like, wow, like, this is amazing. And I just started to get more excited. And the more and more and more that the reality set in, I'm like, man, I, I just can't believe this. And I started thinking, like, I'm going to be able to, pay back my dad for the damage that I caused to his ATV that I wrecked. I'm like, this is, this is going to be great. And I started to find rest, started to have peace of mind about that. You know, everything was great. It's Christmas time. I'm like, this is awesome. 
the more and more I started to talk about that, the, the more my family went from laughing hysterically to like everybody got real quiet, like, oh man, like who's going to tell Clark that that's not real? <laughs> anyway, found out it wasn't real. I was, I was just like crushed. I was like, gosh, can't believe it. I'm like, sorry, Dad. I thought I was going to be able to pay you back for that. Anyway, the reason I tell you that is because it looked like a lotto ticket. It felt like a lotto ticket. It scratched off like a lotto ticket, but it wasn't a lotto ticket. It wasn't a lottery ticket. Anyway, that was a bummer. The reason I tell you that is because we're going to look at a passage here. And the Apostle Paul, he's going to tell his audience, listen, guys, there's a version, there's a line of thinking that, that you know, what these people are going to tell you is a great life. And it's going to, it's going to look like a great life. And it's going to sound like a great life. It's even going to feel like a great life. But in the end, it's not even real. Like, it's not even the real thing. You're not going to find rest in that. Anyway, that's where we're headed here. Just to give you a little bit of context as well, in uh, Philippians 3, uh, at this point, he's going to shift gears a little bit. Again, like I said, he's going he's to give this audience of this church in Philippi a warning. Um, the Apostle Paul is one of the most, he was one of the most influential leaders of the early church. And uh, he was somebody who used to persecute the church. In other words, he used to kill Christians. And uh, this was a guy who had been absolutely transformed by the gospel. And uh, if you don't know what the gospel is, basically in a nutshell, we always say it like this, that the gospel is that we're more messed up than we think we are, but in that same breath, we're more loved than we can ever dare to imagine. Paul was absolutely, utterly transformed by the message of Jesus. And he took and proclaimed and declared the message of the gospel among all these different uh, places throughout the Middle East in the first century. There was a lot of people that weren't okay with that message, though. And so he, throughout all these missionary journeys and throughout um, him preaching and proclaiming the good news, he was imprisoned. And so this is during one of his imprisonments. And so he's writing this letter to this church that he has previously visited before. And so here's what he has to say. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord it is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again. It is a safeguard to you. And notice what he says here in verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So in verse 2 here, notice he says, watch out for those dogs, those, mutil- those uh, evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's saying, look out, stay clear of this group of individuals. They're going to tell you that they have this vision for the great life, that the way to have the great life is by following this, this rules, this list of rules of do's and don'ts. And, and he says, it's going to look like the great life. It's going to sound like the great life. It's even going to feel like it at times. It's going to feel like you're winning. But in the end, it's a lot like having a a fake winning lottery ticket. Anyway, watch what he says uh, next here. This confidence in the flesh, he's like, like, we serve God by the Spirit. He's like, the people who are really actually following Jesus, they're they're serving him, uh, God by the Spirit, and they boast in Christ. They're not boasting in their own human credentials. And he's like, if anybody has reasons for confidence in the flesh, which, which this is just a way of saying human credentials, he's like, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
What's Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that these guys are, are, are waving around their credentials, and they're excited about that, and they think that the way to the great life is by having all these trophies and accolades and all this success. And he's like, I'm telling you right now, I've played that same game that they're playing, and I played it better than them, and that's not even it. He's like, it, it, it looks like a great life. It sounds like a great life. It's not the great life. And so what Paul's going to do now is he's going to say, if anybody has a reason to boast about that, it's me. So he's going to give us a list of credentials, kind of, kind of all these boxes that he has checked throughout his life. And he's going to say, uh, check my credentials out. So here's what he says here next. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So let's talk about this a little bit. This deserves a little bit of attention. So circumcised on the eighth day. This is probably the last thing I want to talk about on a Sunday morning, but it's in the text, so we've got to deal with it, right? So anyway, circumcision, if you don't know what that is, you can talk to the person that brought you or ask your mom about that. Anyway, this was just an external thing that the Jews did to show an, an, an inward commitment to their covenant relationship with God. Anyway, but what do you care? So circumcised on the eighth day, Paul says, um, so if you're a Jewish person looking at this, this is mind-boggling. It may not be mind-boggling right now, but if you, if you were in the Jewish uh, culture in the first century, he says, circumcised on the eighth day, this would have been in complicity with what the Old Testament says in Leviticus 12. So Paul says, you know, I got circumcised on the eighth day. He's like, I'm not like Ishmael who got circumcised when he was 13. Like, I'm not some guy that showed up late. I was there on day eight. He says, of the people of Israel. He's like, I'm not just some guy that's pretending to be Jewish. I actually am Jewish. And he says, not only that, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And so you go, what does that mean? Well, during this time in the Old Testament, it was called the Babylonian exile. Again, you can forget that. But during this time, a lot of the tribes of Israel, they lost their way. They lost their lineage. And, and the Apostle Paul, he's like, not me, man. I know where I come from. He's like, I come from the best of the best. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And you go, what does that mean? Well, he says, I can speak Hebrew. I can actually speak the original language. See, during, during that exile, a lot of the Jewish people lost the ability to read the Bible in its original language. And Paul says, not me, man. He's like, you think you're spiritual because you read the King James Version? He's like, I got it in the original. And he's like, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. And you go, what is this all about? Well, Paul, he made like this life commitment to be like super hyper religious spiritual. Like this was like a life commitment. And he's like, I'm a Pharisee, not just because I say I am. Like it's not like Dr. Dre, like I'm a doctor because I say I'm a doctor. He's like, I'm actually like a legit Pharisee. He's like, this was a life commitment that I made. It was the strictest law of Judaism that anybody could adhere to. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. He says, anybody that would argue with me about religious things, I would kill them. He says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He says, everybody looked at me following this list of rules, these do's and don'ts, and they were like, he's right on. Like, he's the greatest. Like, in that circle of all the religious people, Paul was by far the greatest. Now, here's what I want you to notice uh, that happens next. But before that, I just got to ask you a question. Do you have a list of things in, in your life that you might think, man, if I just had that, that would make me have a great life? I was asking myself this question um, the past few days, like, wh what is my list of things that if I had that, I would have a great life? It's kind of staggering to think about. 
Anyway, watch what happens next. In light of all of these human credentials, Paul says this. But whatever were gains to me, in light of all of those trophies, all of those accolades, all of that success, I now consider that a loss for the sake of Christ. He says, I I actually count it a disadvantage. He's using almost like accounting terms, right? I put all of that in my deficits. Notice what he says in verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. So notice the word here he uses, everything. Isn't that interesting? It's not just religious things. So if you didn't grow up in a religious home and, and, and you're not one of those people that feel like you've got to climb the ladder of, of uh, approval for God, you don't have to earn the smile of God, he, he says is this word everything here, everything and anything that we would use to make ourselves feel special, to make ourselves feel approved by people, by whatever, he says, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And he takes it a step further. He says, I consider them garbage. So if you want to take this word garbage and shove it back into the original language, you actually get this word scubula, which you can forget that part. I know you're really impressed with that. But it actually means cow dung. It actually means excrement. So he says, I consider everything compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. I compare that garbage. I compare that to, uh, I basically consider that garbage when compared to knowing Jesus. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he continues, and he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And he's like, see, knowing Christ, this is the real life right here. This is the great life. This is the real robust thing that I can actually find rest in. I don't feel like I need to win the approval of man. I don't feel like I have to climb this ladder of success or climb this ladder of approval for God. He says, in Christ, I I know the power of his resurrection participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this. It's, like it's, it's not like I've got it all together now. He said, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, he says, I do not consider myself to have already taken hold of it. He's like, it's not like I'm an expert at this stuff or anything. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. This is the part right here that is mind-boggling. He says, I'm going to forget all of this stuff over here, all of the stuff that I used to strain towards to to, to have that vision of a great life. I'm going to forget all of that success, all of those trophies, all of those accolades, everything that I thought was going to be a great life. But in the end, it, it ended up being like, like holding a, a fake lottery ticket, right? I thought I was winning, but in the end, it wasn't even real. It wasn't the real thing. He says, this is robust now. He's like, I'm for- forgetting what is behind. I'm straining toward what is ahead. And I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
And so what is this goal and the prize that he's talking about? Well, we already read it in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. And see, Paul, he was able to get a hold of the fact that all those things that he thought was going to lead to a great life ended up not being a great life at all. It ended up being the furthest thing from the great life because it ended up making him exhausted and and tired and, and frustrated. And, you know, number one, it's not even what God wants. And number two, you never know if it's going to be enough. And Paul said, when I found Christ, when I found Jesus, he transformed my life. And it's not like I put Jesus uh, number one on a scale to one to ten. He's like, I put Jesus number one on a scale to one to one. He's like, I am all in for Jesus. And he said, this, this right here, knowing Christ, he's like, that's what my life is all about. He's like, this is the great life. That other life that I was trying to pursue Man, that was, like, that was like a fake lottery ticket. That was like a winning, a fake winning lottery ticket. I thought I was winning, but in the end, it wasn't even real. So this is the real robust thing. So you go, what do you do with a teaching like this? How do you, how do you get what Paul had? How do you have this list of things in your life that feel would give you fulfillment, would actually give you rest, right? Would give you peace of mind, your anxiety would be stripped away. Like, how do you take that list of things that, that, we, that we are tempted to, to, to uh, chase after, and how do we take that and crumble it up, throw it away, and pursue Jesus? Well, I think Paul says it. He's like, I want to I know Christ. Well, how do you do that? You have a relationship with Jesus. And, you know, I think the starting point for this vision for the great life, honestly, I think I'd be doing you a huge disservice if I didn't talk a little bit about that. Let me tell you a little bit about my story, though. You know, I, I, I got to be honest. Like, I was so tempted to want to chase after all these other things that would make me feel, like, full inside, that would fill that void, right? I don't know what it is for you, but for me, a lot of it was just trying to become a rock star, like, trying to, trying to make it big in the band, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome, right? Music is a beautiful thing. But for me, I couldn't attain who I thought I needed to be like to feel like I was worthy as a person or to to feel special or to feel approved, right? To actually feel like I'm living the great life. You see, for me, I just got really tired, just got really exhausted, I got frustrated, started chasing other things, started partying a lot, started drinking a lot, started doing drugs a lot. And you know what I found? The grass was not greener on the other side, you know? And so I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is you feel like your list of things is. You know, hopefully it's not circumcised on the eighth day, but, you know, whatever your list of things is, seriously, like, you know, are you open to the possibility that maybe that's not the great life, that maybe knowing Christ is actually the great life, that, that maybe this is actually that robust thing, like not a, a uh, you know, an inferior brand of the real thing. Like, this is going to be something that echoes into eternity, and when we subscribe ourselves to this, we are actually getting that fulfillment. We're not, like Shia LaBeouf says, trying to fill a God-sized hole with everything else. And so I would encourage you, like I did, you know, I started searching, and I started seeking out this whole Jesus thing. Like, is this the real deal? And I came to give my life to Christ and ended up embracing the gospel uh, in 2011. And ever since then, it's, it's been... Uh, you know, how do you get what Paul had? Well, you receive Christ, 
and you start pursuing Christ. I love how he uses this language of an Olympic athlete. He's straining toward what is ahead. And, and just like Olympic champions do, they make everything about reaching that goal. They harness everything in their life. Olympic athletes, they'll do whatever they can to reach that goal. They, they will measure out their food in ounces so that they can help themselves reach that goal. They'll do whatever they can. They'll have sleeping habits so that they can reach that goal. I mean, if you think of runners, they'll even, like, like guys will shave their leg hairs, right, so that they can be more swift in the wind so they can re- reach that goal. So that's how Paul is. He's like, I harness everything in my life, my relationships, my uh, morning devotions, everything in my life is so that I can reach that goal of knowing Christ. Why? Because this is the real robust thing. This is the, this is the great life. And this is what God had in store for Paul. And I believe this is what God has in store for you as well. See, so in 2011, when I received Jesus, you know, I started straining towards this too. And like Paul, it's, like, it's not like I got it together now or anything. But I can, I can actually go to bed at night knowing that I have fulfillment in knowing Christ. So listen, if you've never had an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never heard the gospel before, we say it all the time. It's really easy. I said it earlier. It's, it, in a nutshell, it's that we're more messed up than we think we are. But in that same breath, we're more loved than we can ever dare to imagine. So listen, maybe today's the day for some of you, maybe today's the day you, you put a stake in the ground and you say yes to Jesus. And all that looks like, it's not hard. You don't have to do anything weird like sacrifice a cat. You just, between your heart and God's heart, you say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. And I want to turn from where I'm going right now. The Bible uses this churchy word called repent. And I'm just going to turn. And I'm going to start following you. And I'm going to subscribe myself to your vision for the great life. What does that look like? Well, if you tune in for next week, we're going to talk about this thing called the great commandment and the Great Commission, and we're going to talk all about that. But again, I would encourage you, this would be the best starting point to journey yourself on this vision for the great life. Say yes to Jesus. I would encourage you to do that, and if you have questions about that, our staff, we love talking to people about that kind of stuff. That's the reason why we exist here, is so that we can make the gospel clear and accessible to people. So if you are a follower of Jesus, I would just encourage you with this. Uh, maybe, Maybe for you, you're trying to climb that ladder of approval and maybe you feel like you're earning the smile of God, I would just encourage you, you know, I mean, aren't you tired? Don't you, don't you want to find rest? I mean, aren't you exhausted from trying to grit your teeth and try harder all the time, earn the smile of God? The reality is, is with Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, you already have the smile of God. When you say yes to Jesus, you have the smile of God. So I would encourage you, all of us really, This is just an introduction this week, but I want us to walk away with this one question. We open to the possibility that God has a greater vision for our lives. Are we open to the possibility that that maybe we're just tempted? If you're anything like me, I know so many times I'm tempted to want to subscribe to what our cultural narrative says is a great life. That, That if I have success, that if I have trophies and accolades, that if I have a lot of money, that I'm going to have a great life. We know the grass is not greener on the other side. But would we be open to the possibility that God has a greater vision for our life? That instead of settling, instead of becoming complacent and settling for what I would call a fake winning lottery ticket, 
that we can actually settle for something greater, something that's robust, that is going to last, are we open to the possibility that God has a greater vision for our life? I want to ask the band to come out now, and as they do, I just want you to imagine with me, if you would, imagine this vision for the great life, the great commandment, the great commission, and the great comforter, you know, and start, start thinking about what, what could that look like? What could that look like if you're somebody who's investigating Jesus? What could that look like for you to, to find that rest in the finished work of Jesus, knowing that you can rest in him, knowing that he came, died in our place, rose from the dead so that we could have a relationship with him, so we could have this real robust thing, not this inferior brand that's going to just make us feeling like we're winning, but in the end, it's really not even real at all. What would that look like for you? If you're a follower of Jesus, like I said, allow this to reinvigorate your praise, your worship of Christ, to remember that you don't have to earn the smile of God. You already have the smile of God. And we're going to sing a song together. It's called Magnificent. And I love the lyrics in this song. It says, awake my soul to sing to him who died for me. I love that because it, it really is a, an awesome response to like what it means to rest in the finished work of Jesus through his death and, and resurrection, the hope that we have in him as followers of Christ. Would you be willing to sing that with me? If you're like me and you don't have a very good voice, I would encourage you to sing anyway because it's, it's a great worship song. So I want to encourage you to come back again, tune in with us next week, and we'll talk about this idea of the great commandment. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, I just want to say thank you for this conversation, GC3, a vision for the great life. God, I know that uh, for some of us, God, this might be brand new information. For some of us, God, we just, we just need a refresh, Lord. We need a refresh and return to, to the one who came, died in our place, rose from the dead, stamped paid in full all across human history. Lord, we know you're the real great life. You are robust. You are not some inferior brand of the real thing. You will not, you will not lead us astray, Lord. God, I know I am so tempted to subscribe to what our culture says is a great life, Lord, that I would give anything to look like this person or to be like this person or to have the things that this person has, that I would think that that would give me fulfillment, that that would make me feel special and valuable. God, there's nothing in this world that can make me form, feel more valuable than a relationship with you. Lord, you show that to Paul, you show that to me, and you want to show that to these people in this auditorium this morning. So God, I pray that you would show that to us throughout uh, today and in the ensuing weeks to come. Lord, help us not to be complacent. Help us to, to see, Lord, that, that, that we can rest. We can rest in the finished work of Jesus, Lord. Lord, I pray for that, and I want to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.